ride. It's first and ten. The podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. Coming at you every week with the best SEC talk. And we've got a lot to get into today. We'll talk coaching news. Some critical hires that have been made. Some critical hires that need to be made. The assistant coaching ranks. We'll get into that. We'll talk about the idea that players need to, and there are some that need to, Skip the postseason, skip bowl games, and get ready for the NFL to protect not only their draft status, but to protect themselves health-wise. It's been a big argument the last couple years, and I'm going to tell you why, for some, it's the right choice. But before we do that, let's get into a little housekeeping. I want to thank our sponsor, TicketCity.com. Bowl season quickly approaching. It's actually upon us this weekend. And if you're going to spend the time and effort to go to a bowl game, to travel, to get a hotel, have some nice meals, meet some friends, why not get the best ticket you could possibly get? And we've been working with TicketCity.com for years. They are the experts in college football, having served over 1.5 million customers. They've been the place to go for SEC tickets for almost 30 years. Right now, they're offering $20 off to all Saturday Down South podcast listeners. All you need to do is go to TicketCity.com, enter the discount code SDS20, that's Sally Delta Sally 20, while checking out to save 20 bucks on your order. Simple as that. Log on, type in SDS20, save 20 bucks. So go to TicketCity.com, that's T-I-C-K-E-T-C-I-T-Y.com, TicketCity.com. To get your SEC ducats today. All right, right now it's my pleasure to bring in my good friend Jimmy Hyams in Knoxville. Jimmy, a legendary, legendary media member in the SEC for I don't know how long, long enough to know that few things get by Jimmy Hyams. Jimmy uh, currently works for the WNML, the Sports Animal in Knoxville. Jimmy also was a longtime member of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Jimmy's figured out a lot earlier than a lot of us that newspapers were going the way of the dodo, Jimmy. Now Jimmy's breaking <laughs> news there on the radio and other media outlets there in Knoxville. Jimmy, how are you, my friend? Matt, I'm doing great. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear yours, too. So let, let's get right into it, Jimmy. The whole Tennessee coaching search. I mean, to me, the idea of, of how it unfolded and how Tennessee ran off one of the most respected ADs in college football then put the former coach that they ran off a decade earlier into that position, and then he went out and started the search all over again, and they basically wound up with an assistant coach who was a defensive coordinator who's known to be a very good recruiter but is also known to be a very hard guy, a bit of a hothead, basically almost the same guy that John Curry went after with Greg Schiano is now with Jeremy Prudell. The Jeremy's a little bit younger, and... Maybe doesn't have as much has a, have as much quote unquote tread on his tires. How has this thing all unfolded, Jimmy? I mean, how wild has it been? I've never seen anything quite like it. Now, the other thing I would add is that John Curry was right in the middle of getting Fulmer fired ten years ago. He was an associate right. athletic director to Mike Hamilton, who contributed mightily to that move. Uh, I I I don't ever recall an athletic director getting fired over doing a coaching search for football, but it happened here. And then to have the uh, roles being played the way they were, somebody said 
that there somebody's going to do a 30 for 30. No, it had to be a 60 for 60 because this thing was unbelievable, all the twists and turns it took. Uh, I 26 days to hire a coach. I think you make a good point. I think Shiano is a lot like Pruitt, except Shiano didn't have any ties to that Penn State stuff. And, and I thought in many regards it was a disservice to Shiano because there's been no proof that he had anything to do with Penn State. However, uh, probably Tennessee shouldn't have gone down that road. The reaction was incredible, Matt. I, I didn't see that coming. I knew there'd be some reaction, but I didn't think he would get to the point where uh, not only did you have protesters at the stadium that numbered between 75 and 100, but you had four politicians that got involved. Man, I had two politicians that called me, and they weren't asking me to run for Senate. They were asking me, what in the world is Tennessee doing? So it was uh, it was crazy. I, I'd never seen anything quite like it. And so uh, you end up uh, you end up getting Pruitt. And, and I will say that I think um, a lot of the fans were very accepting of Pruitt, given they had gone 26 days without a coach, and that Philip Fulmer delivered him because I think Philip Fulmer brings a lot of credibility as far as a coaching search would be concerned. So so let me try. I'm going to try and wrap my mind around this now, Jimmy. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> to, to me, I, I think the outrage, Jimmy, I think it was faux outrage, the whole Penn State stuff. Because like you said, Greg Shannon has never been proven to have any kind of connections there, okay? It was, it was layered hearsay, hearsay evidence, all right? So he's never been proven to have any kind of connection there. To me, the whole idea of the Shiano stuff was that's a way to start the ball rolling of there's no way we want this guy because we want John Gruden, which is – literally laughable that John Gruden or Chris Peterson or the, the two guys they wanted more than anyone that, that would leave what they're doing now to go coach at Tennessee. And that's not a slight at Tennessee. Tennessee's a terrific top 20 program. That's not a slight at them. It's just the reality of those two guys are not going anywhere. And I, I, to me, I don't think Tennessee fans could get that through their heads and could wrap their minds around the idea that they could not get those two guys. Well, I think the John Gruden thing in particular, uh, uh, I will tell you this, five years ago, I won quite a few bets that Gruden wasn't coming. Uh, Matt, this time around, I won a couple of bets. But one guy I ran into in a parking lot, he said, Gruden's coming, you need to get your head out of the sand. Why are you not behind this hire? I said, it's nothing about being behind it. I said, he's not coming. And I said, he's got a great gig. He works about 53 days of the year. He makes $6.5 There's no way he's getting into this rat race. So the guy told me, he says, well, what do you want to bet? I'll bet you. I said, okay, I'll bet you 500. Uh, well, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to go that high. I'll bet you 100. I said, okay. So I made a $100 bet in a parking lot with a guy uh, at one of our remotes at, um, at a LASIK center. How about that? But I don't even think Matt Gruden was never seriously approached by Tennessee this time around. Uh, did he talk to Peyton Manning? I'm sure he did. Was it an interview? Did they send all these boosters to talk? No, it didn't happen didn't happen. A lot of those reports were false. There was a better chance of hiring him five years ago. Now, five years ago, he did show a significant interest, but then when he was told, okay, now, John, you haven't coached in, in, in college since 1991, so here's the deal. There's a 20-hour rule. He's like, what? What do you mean a 20-hour rule? Yeah, there's a 20-hour rule, and they're recruiting restrictions, and you got to kiss up to the boosters, and you got to do this, and you got to speak to the quarterback club, eh? He's like, I'm not getting in the middle of that. So he, he pulled out. He was not going to get in the middle of all that stuff because the landscape of coaching in college had changed since he had been a, a college coach as an assistant back in 91. So, but he was never a serious candidate. And, and one thing that I thought was interesting, Matt, is that I was told 
there were some people that told John Curry, you need to put an end to this Gruden thing because the fans are getting their hopes up. And Curry's response was, no, I want the fans and the media focused on Gruden so I can conduct my search in private so people don't know who I'm going after. So he let that thing linger on. And so I do believe there was a backlash to Ciano because Tennessee was not hiring Gruden. I agree with you on that. That's just, I, I mean, and, and then we get to the point where he probably could have gotten Mike Leach to come to Tennessee. I think Mike would have left Washington yes. State. Mike really likes it there, but I think Mike would have left to go to Tennessee. And instead, Agreed. he comes back from that interview. They run, they run him off. He fire him. He's out. Put Phillip in there. There's no way Phillip's getting Mike Leach. That's not happening. There's no way Phillip will have a bigger personality as his head coach than he is. It's just not going to happen. So, so Tennessee loses all around. Mike Leach would have been a great hire there simply because he would have infused some energy into that place. They would have done things differently. And it's not all bad to do things differently. Now what you've got is you've got another SEC guy, another Nick Saban protege, another situation where everybody's going to be trying to recreate the Saban monster. And it hasn't worked so far. The only guy to really come close to it really is Jimbo Fisher. And he did it at Florida State for a year. He did it with an unbelievable talent at quarterback. And, and since Jameis Winston left, Jimbo's kind of like gone downhill a little bit at FSU and finally realized time to get out, time to go to Texas A&M. So to me, I, I, everybody always talks about this Saban system. It's not the Saban system. It's the guy who runs the system and the guy who invented the system. It's a lot harder to recreate that thing when you're not a guy named Nick Saban. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, I do agree with that. And, and, uh, and I've mentioned that also. Uh, I guess the guy that's had decent success right now was Will Muschamp, but, God, he struck out at Florida, right? Uh, and in South oh, yeah. Carolina, he had a decent year. And, and, and he may end up being a nice coach for South Carolina. But I think you're spot on with that. The Mike Leach thing is interesting because I was told that John Curry was told to come back off the road before he went to interview Leach, and he went out there to interview him anyway. There's also been speculation, speculation, that Curry interviewed for the Washington State AD job. When he was out there. Uh, yeah. And I, I read an article the other day where the Washington State president said, we're not pursuing Curry because he's got legal action going against his former school, Tennessee. So that makes you wonder, yeah, maybe there was something going on there. But uh, Curry and Leach, I believe, did have an agreement. And not signed, but a verbal agreement. But right. Curry had been called off the road. And when he got back, that's when they fired him because he had, quote, gone rogue in the search. So, and that's when Philip Fulmer took over and, uh, and it was six days later, but you're right. Now, Fulmer was not going to hire Leach. And I think Leach is a very good coach. What kind of fit would he have been here? I don't know. It would have been yeah, exciting to good. see what he did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it had been exciting. I mean, he, he look, he just scored some points and he may have given up some, but by golly, he'd find a way to score some points here. <laughs> and there were a lot of people that were behind that hire here. that thought that would be a good move to get a guy that, had success at Texas Tech and had success at Washington State. Uh, one thing, though, that I remember Philip Fulmer saying, and he's, he's mentioned this multiple times, he wanted to get somebody that could bring some of the toughness back to Tennessee. He felt like under uh, pretty much ever since he left, but in particular under Butch Jones also, that this program had lost its toughness. And he feels like you have to win with toughness in this league. Uh, you have to win with intensity. And one of the things that was pointed out, Tennessee lost eight conference games, right? Seven of them were to head coaches who used to be defensive coordinators. And so I think uh, Fulmer took note of that, and he felt like Pruitt could bring some toughness here, 
and that's one reason he targeted him. Now, his top three were all defensive coordinators, uh, Mel Tucker at Georgia and then Kevin Steele at Auburn. And all three saving guys. Uh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. All three saving guys. That, that's, See, to, that's to true. Me, and, here's, another, and, here's another thing, too, Jimmy, is, is I mean, I'm, I'm all for the toughness thing. I get it. I totally get it. That's a line of scrimmage league, and we all know you win games on a line of scrimmage in the SEC. I'm all for that. To me, it's not so much about toughness as it is players. Tennessee does, hasn't had players. I think Butch was getting there, especially this year. He had that top-flight class he was working on, so he was getting there. If you don't have players in this league, you are going to get killed. If you don't have an elite quarterback, you're going to get killed. And the one year where it looked like Tennessee was on the verge of making a turn, or the one and a half years, is when they had that elite type player, you know, at quarterback in Joshua Dobbs. And, and other than that, what has Tennessee had? And I think that's the biggest misconception, I think, involved with Tennessee fans. They think Tennessee should be recruiting at the same level they were when Fulmer was there in his heyday. And it's a different landscape now. Well, interesting with Butch Jones, um, the numbers-wise, he recruited well to, to Tennessee because his class is typically, on average, ranked in the top 15. Now, that, should, that doesn't necessarily translate to a top 15 team, but it should translate to a top 25 team, I would think. Well, here's the problem with that. One, there was a lot of attrition. Uh, I remember doing uh, an article a year ago this month that in the first four classes Butch Jones signed, 50 players left. Uh, either transferred, kicked off the team, had a medical injury, whatever it was, and that's a lot of people, 50, okay? Yeah. So then then you come back, and, and I look at the talent, and I'm like, I don't care if that guy's a four or five star. I care is he a good college player. And I don't think they have that many really good players on the team. They've got, they got four or five-star players on that team right now, and in my opinion, only one of them is good, and that's Trey Smith, the offensive lineman. The others are, are just average to below-average players. And they're not difference makers. I look at the all-SEC team next year. There are very few people on Tennessee's team I would consider first, second, or third team all-SEC. I don't think the talent level is near what a lot of the fans think it is because they go based on star rating. I go based on what I see on the field. And so I think there's a lack of talent at Tennessee that's also contributed to the mess that they have right now. You can listen to Jimmy on WNML in Knoxville. You can also read his stuff at Gridiron Now. Dot com. Jimmy, I, I agree with you about the talent level. Uh, I, I mean, to me, it's also about developing. And, and Butch did not do a good job That's of right. developing those players. That's right. you, you've been following the Vols now for more than 30 years. You know Phillip as well as anybody. Do you, do you really think he was the puppeteer behind this whole, this whole meltdown? Um, I would think he probably contributed. Um, I was here whenever he got the job and Johnny Majors got fired. And uh, Johnny Majors will say very uncomplimentary things about Philip Fulmer over the way that thing went down. Jimmy, uh, you're being and, very and nice. I, Johnny will go to his grave saying <laughs> saying that it was Philip. <laughs> so, well, that that would be accurate. Uh, and and let's just say Philip was opportunistic in both situations. But uh, yeah, I, I think he probably was involved with that. I think I think one of the things he did was he nurtured and developed a relationship with the Chancellor Beverly Davenport. He was a special advisor to the president at UT, Dr. Joe DiPietro. But I think he, um, I think he got to know the chancellor very well. And, um, and I think when the opportunity arose, he seized it. All right, so let's go real quick to the college football playoff now, Jimmy. Two SEC teams in the playoff. And to me, it sets up great for these two teams. I, I think in the one semifinal, yeah. 
You've got an Alabama team that will have 30 days to get its linebacker core healthy. They will be a healthy team when they play Clemson. And, and, and I think they're going to be a motivated team because a lot of people think they shouldn't be in there. And Nick's teams play best when, when they are motivated because of doubt. And there's no doubt about that. It's, since he's been there, they play best when people doubt them. And I think they're going to play really well. And then the other side, you've got Georgia and Oklahoma. And I realize Baker Mayfield and what Oklahoma could do on offense. But when you, when you put a defense in there that can get after the quarterback and that can cover on the outside like Georgia can do, these are two very favorable matchups for the SEC, I think. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, and I do like Alabama. Uh, I think Alabama will beat Clemson. As you pointed out, they get healthy. Uh, they also uh, will be motivated by the fact that they're going to – I don't know if they're not underdogs, but as you said, there were a lot of people that didn't think they belonged uh, to get there. They lost to Clemson a year ago. I think that's another motivating factor. And, uh, and, I, think, I, and I think Clemson's a physical team. I think Alabama's a little bit more physical. So I like Alabama in that one. The other matchup is intriguing to me because I think Baker Mayfield's a tremendous quarterback, uh, and he would give Oklahoma the biggest advantage that they would have going into this game. But Georgia runs the ball so well. They will possess the ball. They will score uh, against Oklahoma's defense, which I don't think is all that good. And so I think that's going to be intriguing. I'm, I've been very impressed. I like Jake Fromm a lot. Uh, his numbers may not overwhelm you, but I think he's a guy that makes plays when he needs to make plays. I like that about him. I think he's a tremendous competitor. I don't think the moment is too big for him. You often see that with freshman quarterbacks. That has not been the case with him. He is used to succeeding, whether it's playing Little League baseball or high school football. The guy's a winner, and I like that about him a lot. I think it's going to be, I would not be surprised to see Alabama and Georgia play for national championship. I, I can tell you this, Jimmy. In, in big games, all things being equal, I always go with best quarterback wins, but I don't think all things are equal in that game. I, I don't think on the lines of scrimmage all things are equal, and I think that's where Georgia's going to win that game. All right, real quick before I let you go, Jimmy. I'm going to bring up a topic later in the podcast here about players who, who skip bowl games because it's in their best interest, both, both uh, draft stock-wise and, and health-wise. And to me, a perfect example is not one, but both Auburn tailbacks, Carryon Johnson and Ken Petway. If you're, if you're those two guys, why would you play in that game against UCS? It's a meaningless game against UCF, okay? There's no reason for them to play in that game other than they feel loyalty to their team. They want to be around their teammates for another game. The only, only bad things can happen for those two, all right? They're, they're in a position where, a run, the running back position, where you only have so many carries in your career, all right? And they're also at a point where they're not going to really improve their stock that much, those two guys. They're both probably second, third-round guys. Why hurt yourself? Go there and play, get hurt, and then eliminate your ability to earn. You would play because of loyalty teammate. I'll say this. Petway's been injured most of the year, right? Right. He would he would have a greater reason not to play, just like Leonard Fournette a year ago. Fournette didn't play because he had a bum ankle. If you got right. a bum ankle going into the game, why would you uh, exacerbate the problem by playing in a bowl game? But I'm old-fashioned. I would like to see them play. Uh, you got as much chance of getting hurt as not getting hurt, I guess. I mean, there's more of a chance if you're playing. I would like to see them play. I do think you're going to see more and more players pull out of those games so that they don't risk injury. I think there have been – maybe a couple of really catastrophic injuries in bowl games. Uh, the guy at Notre Dame suffered a significant injury. He's playing with the Cowboys. Yeah, that's right. You make a good point about it. But, gosh, I'd like to see him play. I, I, if I were in their situation, I'd play because I would feel a loyalty to my team and my teammates. That team gave me a scholarship, 
and to fulfill my obligation to them, I'm playing in a bowl game. I realize that I would, I'm getting, I'm becoming an exception in my thinking because of what's ahead in the pro level. I would not play if I had some type of an injury, like Petway or like Fournette. Otherwise, I'd suit it up. All right, you can hear him daily on WNML in Knoxville. Read him at gridironnow.com. Jimmy, it's been a pleasure having you, my friend. Matt Hayes, always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much, and I hope you and your family have a great Christmas. You too, Jimmy. Merry Christmas. All right, that's Jimmy Hyams, longtime SEC media member in Knoxville. What an awesome report. I mean, he knows the Vols as well as I mean. We had three in this year so far. We've had three really good Tennessee reports. Chris Lowe, my friend who works at ESPN, who also has covered Tennessee for a long time, is a national college football writer at ESPN. Did a terrific job breaking down the Vols. John Adams, the columnist of the Knoxville News Sentinel, also did a fantastic job a couple weeks ago. The Vols have been in the SEC News this year. There is no doubt about that. The Vols and Butch and his turnover trash can and this nonsense with Phil Fulmer. They got a coach, everyone. They have got a coach, Jeremy Pruitt. All right, I want to circle back to something I brought up at the end there with Jimmy and something I brought up at the beginning of the program that I wanted to address, and that's the idea of players skipping their bowl games to protect themselves. And I know this began a couple years ago, and a lot of people were upset about it. And then it happened last year when Jadavian Clowney, he skipped his bowl game. McCaffrey skipped the bowl game at Stanford. And I think a lot of people were upset with the idea of players running out on their teams. And it's, you know, you should be there. You should be loyal to your team. You should play. It's about the experience. And I agree with all that. And I am as old school as it gets. And I agree with all that. But at some point, these guys have to look out for their future, especially, especially if you're a running back. And clearly Fournette and McCaffrey, two running backs last year. If you're a running back, from the moment you become a feature back in college, man, the clock starts ticking. Your carry count starts ticking. There's only so many times you can run between the tackles and absorb that punishment. Carry after carry after carry. At some point, the physical nature of the game takes its toll. And the career is complete. That's it. It's over. You're done. Three years, four years, five years. This is a reality. This is a fact, okay? This number is a fact. The average lifespan of an NFL running back is 4.5 years. So these guys have 4.5 years to earn before their body just basically breaks down. Some guys can go 10. Some guys go 1. This unique position is the reason, I believe, I truly believe, you have to start to at least pause for a moment and understand why Fournette left, why McCaffrey left and did not play in those games. And maybe even pause and understand that over the next week or so when any number of players will decide that they're going to skip these meaningless bowl games. Because as much as I like bowl games and I love watching them and they're fantastic and I'd rather watch a meaningless bowl game than probably any other sport any other time, including the NFL, the reality is they don't mean anything. And, and they can only do harm to players who are leaving and going to the NFL. So don't be shocked if over the next week, a week and a half, one or even both of Auburn's tailbacks decide they're not coming back, they're not playing in that bowl game. And could you really, 
could you really blame them? Could you really blame Carrion Johnson, who injured his shoulder in the Iron Bowl? Who, and believe me, that's a significant shoulder injury. Because if you saw Carrion Johnson in the Iron Bowl in two weeks earlier against Georgia, that same guy in the SEC championship game, he was a shell of himself. He was not even close to being the same player. That was a significant shoulder injuries. When, when you get that ball and you run to your left, and all of a sudden you give up yourself, when you give up yourself in the middle of the biggest game of the season, that's a significant injury. And here's another thing, too, I, I, I thought about that when I watched that play. I watched it over and over, and I, I saw Kerryon Johnson not only give himself up and go to the ground, he let go of the ball. Think about that. Think about the idea of a running back who gets drilled through his head day after day, in practice, out of practice, in classroom. A lot of them walk around with balls in their hands so they know not to drop the ball. He let go of the ball. That's the kind of pain he was in from that shoulder injury. He wasn't even close to the same guy in the SEC championship game. Did that contribute to Auburn losing the SEC championship game? You better believe it did. I'm not saying a healthy carry on Johnson would have made a difference, but it certainly, certainly would have put Auburn in better position. No doubt about that. So if you're carry on Johnson and you're dealing with that significant shoulder injury, why in the world would you play in the Peach Bowl against UCF, a game that means nothing to Auburn? Nothing. Not even recruiting. I don't even think recruiting-wise it means anything. There's, it, it does nothing for them. Why would you play in that game knowing that the only thing you can do is actually hurt, hurt your NFL prospects? He's not going to raise his stock. He's not a blazing runner, all right? He's not a guy that you, you give him the ball and he's this dynamic, blazing, fast guy that can, can score on any, on any touch. He's a grinder. Cam Petway, same thing. Cam Petway is not a guy that's going to run, run, outrun somebody. It's just not going to happen. In the NFL, I'm talking about with both Carrion and Cam Petway. They're not outrunning guys in the NFL. It's not happening. They're not that dynamic type of back. They're not a Leonard Fournette that's going to outrun somebody. It isn't going to happen. But they are both guys that, given the right position, the right team, the right situation, could have very nice NFL careers because they run hard between the tackles, they protect the ball, and they can catch the ball. They're both very good NFL prospects. They're not first-round prospects. They're second or third-round or fourth-round prospects, but they're guys that you'll see on a team and you'll see, wait, oh, on Johnson, right, I remember him. Didn't he used to play for Auburn? And all of a sudden, he's going to be rushing for 1,100 yards for the Bengals one year or whoever he gets picked. So if you're these two guys, Cam Petway injured his shoulder blade in Week 8 against Arkansas. Hasn't played since. A significant injury. Now, there was talk in the Auburn camp, even Gus Malzahn mentioned, that there's a possibility Petway could play in the bowl game. Why? Why in the world would he do that? Why? Why risk getting hurt? It just doesn't make any sense at all. Now, you, you could say, well, you can use that for any player. And you can. You absolutely can. And I, don't, I wouldn't begrudge any player if they said, you know what, I'm not playing. I'm not doing it because it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the monetary risk. I need to earn. It's a business. I need to earn when I leave the NFL. My job will be playing in the NFL and earning money. I get that. Totally get it. Especially for this position at running back. And even so, a quarterback, but I don't think, when the day comes when we see an elite quarterback do this, then I might be shocked. Then I might say, whoa, wait a second. Now we've significantly hit a a spot here where, okay, this is serious now. Like, let's just say, for instance, for instance, 
if Josh Rosen decides he's not playing in the game. He's not playing in UCLA's meaningless bowl game. That'll be a big story. That will be a big deal. So if Johnson and or Petway decide they're not playing in that Peach Bowl game, then Auburn must go with Cam Martin or Devin Barrett or Malik Miller or a combination of the three, the same three guys that Gus Malzahn had a hard time trusting during the season in critical games down the stretch. Look, you got to trust them at some point, okay? Why not in a meaningless bowl game where, you know what, let's get them some time. I actually think, and this is just me, this may not be the way Gus thinks. If I'm Gus, I'm thinking, you know what, those guys probably should skip this game. It's good for them. It's good to protect what they've got, their money-making ability. And you know what? Let's, get, let's see what happens with Cam Martin and, and Devin Barrett and Malik Mill. Let's see what these guys can do. It's a bowl game. It's not something that has to be won. It's not critical to our season. It's not critical to the way we recruit. Let's see what happens when we throw these guys, these three young guys in there and put a little pressure on them and say, you know what? Let's see what you got. Perform. To me, that's the fun part of it. That's the fun part of bowl games when you get young guys who you don't necessarily think can do it. But then once they get under the lights, with the jerseys on, everything's different. Everything changes. And there's, I'm telling you right now, there are countless players like that that don't perform in practice. But once those silk jerseys go on and the lights go on, it's a completely different player. All right, so I began the podcast talking about the crazy coaching search of the last couple of weeks. And I also mentioned that now is the time when you start to see movement in the assistant coaching ranks. And there's a critical, critical assistant coaching hire that needs to be made in the Southeastern Conference. And that's in South Carolina, and that's offensive coordinator. And we spoke about this earlier in the year when I said, the problem at South Carolina right now is they're not getting out of the offense what should be, not could be, what should be gotten out of it when you've got an elite quarterback like Jake Bentley. Jake Bentley has not been developed. He has not been developed this year, and I think that problem fell on Kurt Roper. I think Will Muschamp saw it, and Kurt Roper is one of Will Muschamp's best friends, and he has been protecting and defending Kurt, Kurt Roper since his last year at Florida. That was his guy. That's why he hired him at South Carolina. He believed in Kurt Roper, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. So now Muschamp is in the same situation right now that he was in Florida. His offenses are struggling. And you start to wonder, well, at what point does it change? At what point do his team start to play better offensively and maybe do something different? And therein, everyone, lies the key. Lies the key to South Carolina. It's time to either be timid and safe or bold and daring. Because if you're Will Muschamp, it can go two ways right now at South Carolina. He can simply say, all right, here's my new offensive coordinator. He's someone familiar. I know him. The SEC knows him. You know, guys like Noel Mazzone at Texas A&M or Rhett Lashley, who's now at UConn, used to be at Auburn, or Jed Fish at UCLA. He's the interim coach at UCLA now. He's had some SEC experience. These are guys that Muschamp knows, would be very comfortable with. Or... Or what Muschamp does is exactly what James Franklin did two years ago at Penn State. And believe me, James Franklin, he was starting to get this reputation as, as a guy who his offenses weren't good, his defenses were terrific, and he played smart. He got the game to the fourth quarter, and that's how he won games. And that's exactly 
where Muschamp is. That was his reputation at Florida. That's where it is right now at South Carolina. And he's done amazing things with the South Carolina team this year. Believe me, this team probably talent-wise is a four or five, maybe six-win team. He's got them in eight wins, and they got a pretty good chance to beat Michigan in that bowl game. He get, if he gets nine wins out of this team, he, he is clearly coach of the year in the SEC. He, he's done an unbelievable job with that team, considering the talent level. All right? So my idea for this position is for Muschamp to do exactly what James Franklin did. Two years ago, when Franklin was looking for an offensive coordinator, he went way, way, way out of the box. He heard Joe Moorhead speaking at a coaching clinic a couple years earlier and was fascinated by what Joe Moorhead talked about with offensive principles. So he calls Joe Moorhead, who was the head coach at Fordham at that time, and says, you know what? You know, I want to talk to you about being my offensive coordinator. They talked. He hired Joe Moorhead. Joe, Joe Moorhead left a head coaching job at Fordham, an FCS school, to be the offensive coordinator at Penn State. Two years later, Penn State's offense sets all kind of records. That it leads to the Big Ten Championship last year. Another great year this year. And all of a sudden, Joe Moorhead, who, when he was head coach at Fordham, could never have dreamed of coaching at the FBS level, much less the SEC. Two years later, Joe Moore is now the head coach at Mississippi State. And to me, that's a sign if you're an FCS head coach, you know what? If I don't think I'm going to get to the FBS, maybe the best way is to go down a coaching peg, go from head coach to offensive coordinator, build a resume, then someone will hire me at the FBS level. That's where I believe Muschamp has to go. There are so many guys out there with the ability to slide right into that offensive coordinator position. So many head coaches at the FCS level can slide right into that position, develop Jake Bentley into the first-round type of quarterback that he is, get the ball to Debo Samuel, get the ball to the, that deep running back quarter they now currently have, and change the way South Carolina does offense. Immediately, they will become hot head coaching candidates, just like Joe Moorhead. A guy like Casey Keeler at Sam Houston State, longtime FCS coach, won championship at Delaware, has had Sam Houston State in, in the semifinals, I think four times now. They play Friday against North Dakota State, the, the FCS king, in the semifinals. What they do on offense is unbelievable. They led FCS in scoring and total offense. They throw the ball over the field, but they also run the ball. And I think that idea of changing completely what you do. Muschamp is a saving guy. He's a guy who believes in running the ball between the tackles, dictating tempo, and playing defense. If he decides, you know what, we need to change it up here on offense, let's get this into a situation where we can throw the ball, where we can take pressure off Jake, where it's not always third and long, where we can do things differently to get guys open and get them the ball and run the ball well. A guy like Casey Keeler would be a fantastic hire. Or a guy like John Grass at Jacksonville State. Think about Jacksonville State, okay? And, and I know you've seen, if you're, you're the SEC fan, you're listening to this, you are an SEC fan, you've watched Jacksonville State play SEC teams. In fact, you watched three years ago when they nearly won at Auburn. When they had 500-something yards against Auburn in that game and lost in overtime. And oh, by the way, the defensive coordinator for that game for Auburn was Will Muschamp. And, and a lot of coaches... When they're hiring assistants, especially if these are assistants they don't necessarily know, 
will hire guys who have given their teams the most trouble. So Will, being the defensive guy that he is, being confident in who he is as a defensive coordinator, and Will is a very confident defensive coach. He knows what that Jacksonville State team did to his defense. So don't be surprised if John Grass is a guy that, that gets a look. And that would be a fantastic move for John Grass. And I know he's done unbelievable things at Jacksonville State. They're 31-0 in their conference game since he's been head coach in the last four years. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. But I'm telling you right now, John Grass would lead Jacksonville State to go be the offensive coordinator at South Carolina. That's a, a – not only is it a jump that will help him in his coaching career, and this is the same with Casey Keeler too. These guys probably make 300000 350000 These are guys that would double, maybe triple their salaries to go and be an offensive coordinator at South Carolina. Another guy is a guy like Chris Hatcher at Sanford. He's a Hal Mummy Mike Leach disciple. He's a guy that throws the ball over the place, but also, also runs the ball well. You know, everywhere he's been, Valdosta State, Georgia Southern, Murray State, Sanford, crazy numbers on offense. He got run out of Georgia Southern because he threw the ball too much. So I think the idea is going away from what you've done for the last six years and trying to develop the one thing that can win you a championship in the SEC, and that's an elite quarterback. And South Carolina has that in Jake Bentley. They need someone who can develop. And I think if, if, you, if you don't go that route, you could also go the offensive coordinator route at the FBS level. You know, a perfect example of that is a guy like Brian Wright at Toledo. Look what he's done in the last two years at Toledo. Look how he's developed quarterback Logan Woodside. L- look what Logan Woodside has done the last two years. Logan Woodside played as a freshman. Played pretty well, actually, for a true freshman. Then lost the job two straight years to Philip Ely as a, when, when Philip Ely uh, transferred from Alabama. Came back as a starter last year. In the last two years, Logan Woodside has a touchdown intercept, interception ratio of 73 to 14. 73 to 14. By the way, most champs quarterbacks in six years at Florida and South Carolina, the touchdown interception ratio is 83 to 59. That has to change. That's why you lose big games. You lose big games because you're averaging 10 interceptions a year at, your, at the most important position on the field. You can't have that. And, and, I, and I really believe, to me, you've got to have a guy that can develop the quarterback. You've got to have a guy that has a system, and you've got to have a guy that's confident in his system. And if, if I were Muschamp and you really want to take a chance, I'd go hire Kendall Bryles. And I know people are going to say, well, Kendall Bryles is at Baylor, and he's got the Baylor stench to him. And the only connection of Kendall Bryles, okay, to the Baylor scandal is an attorney for an alleged victim claiming that Bryles allegedly used sex to try and persuade high school players to sign with Baylor when he was assistant under his father. So you've got, in an, in an initial filing from an attorney, which in initial filings, attorneys just say everything they can. Then, you know, it's got to be proven in court. That's just a filing. It's not proof. So you've got an attorney of an alleged victim claiming that he, that he allegedly used, Bryles allegedly used sex to persuade high school players to play at Baylor. You know, you like women, we've got women here at Baylor. One of those type things. Wrong, of course it's wrong if, it, if it's true. What if it's not? FAU did enough background check on Kendall Bryles that they were, they were okay with hiring him. Kendall Bryles 
If you, if you want an offensive coordinator, he's the best offensive coordinator out there right now. That's a guy that I think if you're going to take a chance and you think your administration will be okay with it, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's an absolute no-brainer. That offense at FAU was not Kiffin's offense. It's Kendall Bryles' offense. And Kiffin was the first to say that when he first hired him. Kendall Bryles wasn't going to take the job unless he could run his own show. And, and what they did offensively this year at FAU, crazy. It's absolute crazy numbers. That's the Baylor system. The Baylor system, and a lot of people hear that system, they think it's this crazy pass-happy system. The Baylor system is based on power run. It's power run between the tackles. Now, now the pass system is terrific because it's number to number. You spread the receivers out on each number. You force the defense to cover in space. And then you get a strong-arm quarterback who can just basically pick off spots both in zone and in receivers winning man coverage on the outside. And believe me, Jake Bentley's got that arm to do that. I don't know that Will gets that crazy and tries to get Kendall Browse, but that would be the guy I'd go after. And then, of course, if you want to be safe but also a little bit out of the box, you just got to walk down the hall in the football offices and, and go to Bobby Bentley, who's Jake's father. Bobby Bentley's legendary high school coach at Burns High School in South Carolina. Turned out quarterbacks. Turned out elite offenses. Went to Presbyterian College for two years. Coached there. Did a terrific job there. Left because there wasn't too, as much of a commitment as he needed there. Went back into the high school system at Burns. This is a guy that I think could do a terrific job with Jake. Not only Jake Bentley, his son, but with the entire offense. You know, we've seen this time and again with high school coaches. Hugh Freeze, Chad Morris. They get their break, and boom, it just explodes. And, and, and you got to understand this. And you ask college coaches and you ask NFL coaches, you ask NFL personnel people, they'll tell you some of the smartest football coaches they know are high school football coaches. Because a lot of times on high school teams, you got one player, one, one Division one player, or no players. And you got to figure out teams that have, figure out a way to beat teams that have better talent, significantly better talent. But you can do it by the way you scheme things, by the way you motivate guys, by the way you develop players. I'm telling you right now, I have had multiple NFL personnel people tell me flat out some of the best coaches they know are high school coaches. So if you're Will Muschamp and you got a guy on your staff who clearly has been an elite high school coach, an elite offensive mind, who spent two years at a college as a head coach, who knows the quarterback spot, who has coached his son since he was three years old, since his son was throwing seven-on-seven drills. His son was nine years old. Nine years old, okay? Burns is a K-12 school. Nine years old, and he was throwing seven-on-seven drills with the varsity. He's coached his son the entire way. You want a guy to develop, to develop Jake Bentley? That's a pretty good place to start. That's a big decision for Muschamp. It's a, a critical decision. It, it absolutely is. He's got to get it right on offense. There's no doubt about that. Muschamp, by the way, part of the ever-growing Saban tree of assistant coaches moving on to head coaches. I mean, it just got bigger last week with Jeremy Pruitt taking the Tennessee job. Look, look, look at where it is right now, that coaching tree. You got Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Jimbo won a National title, of course, at Florida State. Jimbo was with Saban at LSU. Kirby Smart at Georgia. He was an LSU defensive assistant. He was Alabama defensive coordinator. He's got Georgia in the college football playoff this year. You got Muschamp 
You got Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State, who was with Saban at Michigan State. D'Antonio has done unbelievable things at Michigan State, winning Big Ten championships, winning Rose Bowl. Just an, an unbelievable job by D'Antonio there at Michigan State. You got, of course, Kiffin at FAU, and Kiffin's kind of a, he's kind of like a half Saban tree guy. He's also like a Pete Carroll tree guy. So we'll, get, we'll give him that. And then, of course, the most recent hire, Mario Cristobal at Oregon. Mario was a offensive assistant, offensive line coach at Alabama. Now, Mario's been a head coach prior at FIU, but certainly what happened at Alabama and how he developed at Alabama as a coach played a significant role in him landing that Oregon job. That's, that's seven coaches and six major jobs. That kind, of, that kind of illustrates Saban's impact on the sport. Those six jobs, think about this. Texas A&M, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Michigan State, and Oregon. Those are all top 40 jobs. And some could argue top 30 jobs. So in other words, 15% of the, 15, 15% of the top jobs in college football are run by Saban assistants, former Saban assistants. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. But it also shows the impact of Saban. He's getting guys ready to be head coaches. And they're taking it, and they're running with it. And they're getting good jobs. These aren't just like, you know, flunky jobs in the FBS or FCS. This is, these are elite jobs. Top 40, certainly, maybe even top 30 jobs. All right, I want to wrap up this week's edition of First and Ten, the podcast, with a critical, very critical, actually, happening off the field. We're seven days away from the first ever early signing period. It's important on many levels, clearly because it's the way teams procure talent to build their rosters. But more than anything, it's important because the nation's number one player, quarterback Justin Fields from Georgia, has to make a decision. He's committed, verbally committed to Georgia. He did it in October. He chose Georgia over FSU and Florida. But understand this. If Fields doesn't sign with Georgia on December 20th, okay, and he hasn't said if he will or won't, but if he doesn't, that's a clear indicator that he's rethinking his decision. And it's a clear indicator that FSU, Florida, Texas A&M, since Jimbo's now at Texas A&M, suddenly enter the picture. All three of those programs, FSU, Florida, and Texas A&M, have new coaches. Two of the three, Florida and Texas A&M can offer immediate playing time, something that clearly looks less certain at Georgia with the emergence of Jake Fromm. I mean, if, if Georgia wins the national title, I mean, and you're Justin Fields, what's the sense of going to Georgia? Now, you might be told that you can win the job, and you might think you can win the job, but if Georgia's got a true freshman quarterback who leads his team to the national title, that's going to be a hard, hard get. So if you're Justin Fields, you have to look at that. And, and that may be why Justin Fields doesn't sign on December 20th. Look, it could happen. Justin Fields could clearly go to Georgia and win the job. That's what Jake Fromm did to Jacob Eason this year. Now, Eason was the starter. He got hurt. Game one, Jake Fromm came in, and that was it. He got Wally pipped. So that could happen. But if you're Justin Fields, you absolutely have to assess what's going on. And, and it's, it's this position, too, with recruiting. Because these guys, these quarterbacks, 
it's, they're so fickle in what they do and where they go and how long they stay. You'll see guys that go to that sign with a team, enroll early, play in spring practice, and then if they realize, wait, this isn't going to work for me here, after one spring practice, one 15 set of practices, and they leave, and they go transfer. That's how quick the turnover is right now at this position in college football. So if you're Justin Fields, why would you sign on the 20th? Why not wait, let everything play out, see where everything is, because you can always sign with, with Georgia late in the regular February period. And if you want to, you can enroll early at Georgia. He hasn't decided whether he's going to enroll early or not as well. He can always get to Georgia. That's always going to be there for him. So why not just let it play out? Let the postseason play out. See what happens at the quarterback spot at Georgia. See if Georgia wins the national championship. See if Fromm is the key reason or a key factor why they win the national championship. And then kind of assess, well, I can still go there and win the job no matter what. Or, you know what? I might be better off going somewhere else where I can play right away. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's edition of First and Ten, the podcast. Remember, search it out. Like us. Subscribe to us. Tell your friends about it. We'll get after it again next week. Have a great week, everyone.